The word of God from Psalm 21. David celebrates that God hears him, understands his desires, and answers his requests. Lord, the king finds joy in your strength. How greatly he rejoices in your victory. You have given him his heart's desire and have not denied the request of his lips. For you meet him with rich blessings. You place a crown of pure gold on his head. He asked you for life, and you gave it to him, length of days, forever and ever. His glory is great through your victory. You confer majesty and splendor on him. You give him blessings forever. You cheer him with joy in your presence. For the king relies on the Lord. Through the faithful love of the Most High, he is not shaken. Your hand will capture all your enemies. Your right hand will seize those who hate you. You will make them burn like a fiery furnace when you appear. The Lord will engulf them in his wrath, and fire will devour them. You will wipe their progeny from the earth and their offspring from the human race. Though they intend to harm you and devise a wicked plan, they will not prevail. Instead, you will put them to flight when you ready your bowstrings to shoot at them. Be exalted, Lord, in your strength. We will sing and praise your might. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Um, you can find Psalm 20 on page 480 of the Bible underneath the chair in front of you. I'd encourage you, if you don't have a, a copy of the scriptures, to go ahead and turn to page 481 in that Bible. We're going to begin uh, in kind of an odd way this morning, um, but hopefully not too uncomfortably odd. I was a youth pastor for nine years in Wisconsin, and we would frequently begin our times together with an icebreaker, and often uh, that icebreaker would be thought of about two minutes before we began, and would you rather questions were typically the defaults that we would go to. Are you familiar with would you rather questions? Would you rather A or B? And in a youth group setting, you have people move to either side of the room, A over here, B over here, and just kind of a fun way to get to know people. I'm not going to have you get out of your seats and move, okay? Uh, that might be a little too much. But I do have three questions for you. Three would-you-rather questions. The first one's just going to be stupid. The second one a little more thoughtful. And the third one I'm actually not going to have you answer. I just want you to think about. So, would you rather, I'll ask the question, give you a chance to think about it, then I'll ask it again, and would you rather A, raise your hand, and B, raise your hand. So would you rather be forced to sing along to every single song you hear or dance to every single song you hear? Would you rather sing along to every song you hear or dance? And there is no third option, okay? Sing along, raise your hand. Okay, dance, raise your hand. Wow, okay. You know who to invite to the parties. A little more thoughtful question but kind of not. Um, would you rather give up air conditioning and heating for the rest of your life or give up the internet for the rest of your life? Okay, air conditioning and heating, raise your hand. Okay, I knew we'd have some folks. I knew we would. Internet, rather give up internet. Okay, okay. All right. Third question. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. Just think about it. Would you rather have an ally 
who will always successfully defend you? Or would you rather have a friend who will always love you? The challenge with would you rather questions is that they pose extremes and force you to choose. And often the answer would be neither or both. And in the case of this ally friend question, my guess is I know your answer if you could force it. Now, what I want you to do for me is hold that thought in your right hand for a moment. Just hold it there, and now consider this question. How valuable is your Christian faith? Or how valuable is the Christian faith? In our post-Western or post-Christian Western culture, there are several common views of Christianity. Some deny Christianity because they see it as dangerous. Men like Christopher Hitchens might summarize the Christian faith in the subtitle of one of his books, Religion Poisons Everything. According to Hitchens and men like him, there is no value in Christianity. There is only danger. Misogyny, repression, homophobia, intolerance. Others would dismiss Christianity because the cost is too steep. If we go against the cultural forces pushing at us, a life oriented towards God is going to cost us something. It's, it's going to cost relationships. It may cost respect and promotions and position and individual autonomy. Christianity embraces self-denial, and the cost of following Jesus is undoubtedly cultural diminishment. So is there value in it? Some disregard the Christian faith because it seems to be nice, but not really necessary. You know, kind of like chocolate cake. It's good on occasion, but not really central or vital nourishment. And I realize I just lost some of you because you're mentally arguing with me that chocolate cake is absolutely vital nourishment. Don't lose me here, okay? So in one hand, you have the answer to your question, the would you rather question. Would you rather have a friend who will always love you or an ally who will always defend you? And in the other hand, you have your thoughts on the value of the Christian faith. So with these in our hands, now let's come to our text. Psalm 21. Psalm 21 was written when the people of God were ruled by a king, an actual physical king on a throne. And as we've said in past weeks, what was true of the king that God had chosen was true of the people who served that king. So if that king was blessed by God, then those blessings would naturally flow to the people who submitted to that king. In fact, part of the worship, the religion of God's people in that day, was submission to God's anointed king. You could not be rightly related to God without rightly submitting to God's king. 
Last week, we saw that Psalm 20 was a battle liturgy. It was a call and response song to be sung by the people of God, encouraging their king as they prepared for battle. Here in Psalm 21, we have a related song. It's a song after the battle. It's a song that's celebrating victory in the battle. It's a battle victory celebration. And the psalmist, whoever he is, has a point he wants to make about the relationship between God and his king. Now, how does he go about making that point? It's an important question. Today, when we want to emphasize a point in conversation or in writing, we'll typically lead with it or we'll end with it, right? But in biblical poetry, one way of emphasizing something, an idea, was to place it at the center, at the very midpoint, and then connect to that idea leading to it and coming from it. Each sentence before it and behind it in cascading waves would be connected to that center. So we could call this bullseye writing. You've got the idea at the center, the bullseye, and everything connects to it and encircles it. And Psalm 21 is a bullseye poem. The bullseye is found in verse 7. It's the central idea. The psalmist is giving his perspective on the king's relationship with God. So let's take a a running start at it by starting in verse 6, and we'll read 6 and 7. The psalmist says, You give him, the king, blessings forever. You cheer the king with joy in your presence, for because the king relies on the Lord, through the faithful love of the Most High, The king is not shaken. So the psalmist is highlighting a two-way relationship here between God and the king and the king in God. And that relationship we could characterize with one word, friendship. The conclusion found at the bullseye, verse 7, is that friendship with the all-powerful God holds eternal joy and value. Friendship with the all-powerful God holds eternal joy and value. How valuable is the Christian faith? Eternally so. Eternally valuable. Friendship with God, that is, a relationship with God that's initiated by God through His covenant loyal love, that is rightly ordered in love back to Him, devotion to him, trust in him, reliance upon him, that kind of friendship with God is not only possible, but the joy and the value it holds are immeasurable and eternal. There is eternal joy and value in friendship with the all-powerful God. Now, why is this so? Why is that the case? Well, let's go to the outer rings of the bullseye here to see how the psalmist is going to make his case. 
Look at verse 1 with me. Lord, the king finds joy in your... What's the next word? Strength. How greatly he rejoices in your victory. Now, go to the end. Verse 13. Be exalted, Lord, in your... What's the word? Strength. We will sing and praise your might. So he places verse 7 at the center, and as he begins to make his way to verse center, or verse 7, both from the beginning and the end, what is his emphasis on? It's on the strength of the Lord. He ends and begins his psalm claiming that he and his community and the king will rejoice in the strength of God. I wonder if you find that odd. I wonder if that's surprising to you in any way that the very power and strength of God is what elicits the joy and rejoicing of certain people. So let's, let's flip that and think about it this way. Why is the strength of the Lord something to rejoice in rather than something to fear? Why, why is God's power something to praise and not something to be fearful of? Well, we're going to answer that question in two ways. First, the strength of the Lord is something to rejoice in because the all-powerful God leverages his strength in gifts for his friends. The all-powerful God leverages his strength in gifts for his friends. This is the whole first half of this psalm. Verse 2 through 7 describes the king's friendship with God in really remarkable terms. And notice all of the gifts that God is lavishing on the king. Look at verse 2. God leverages his strength by giving the king whatever he desires. Verse 3, he's giving him the richest of blessings. Maybe you remember back in Psalm 20, verse 4, the people of God prayed that God would grant the king whatever his heart desires. Well, guess what? In Psalm 21, we have the answer to that. God has granted the king whatever his heart desires. Now, look in verse 4. God leverages his strength on behalf of the king by giving to him what? Length of days forever and ever. For the Davidic king, this is a hyperbolic statement concerning the lasting dynasty of his kingdom that would extend beyond the king himself. But it may be that this verse points beyond itself and the king at hand and refers to life that is eternal, not simply long-lasting. And we'll come to that in just a bit. But third, notice in verse 5, that God gives another gift to his king. And what is that gift? It's his own glory. He gives him majesty and splendor, or we could say majestic splendor. Back in 1 Chronicles 16, the Ark of the Covenant was captured. The Ark of the Covenant was a symbol of God's presence among his people. So for God to allow it to be captured by the enemies of God was a powerful statement of the removal of God's presence 
from his people. But then King David captures it. He recaptures it. And he brings it back to Jerusalem. And in praising God before the Ark of the Covenant, he rejoices that majestic splendor is before God. It's the exact same phrase. Exact same terminology. What belongs to God? Majestic splendor. God is now giving to the Davidic king. He's lavishing gifts upon him. And then look in verse 6. Perhaps the greatest gift is left for last. God gives to the king his very presence. Verse 6 says, you cheer him with joy in your presence. The richest of blessings, a lasting legacy, majestic splendor, the very presence of God, there is truly eternal joy and value in friendship with this God. But why did God choose to lavish these sorts of gifts upon this king? Well, look at verse 7. Notice how the verse begins. For, or 